Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amka na Unai. Good morning, it's 7 o'clock Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective and we're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu, in studio with Onelin Zinzi, Tabisolo Hoko and Nedo Chimani. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa... U.S. President Donald Trump faces impeachment again. South African opposition lays criminal charges against police minister Peggy Tele. In economics news, WhatsApp users not happy with the platform's new terms of service. And in sports news, Kenyan giants Gore Maia appoints Carlos Manuel as their new coach. But first up, the news with Onit Zinzi. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Lulu. A digital meeting of the Sudanese, Egyptian and Ethiopian ministers of foreign affairs and water resources failed to reach an agreement on a formula to continue negotiations on the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam. The South African Minister of International Relations and Cooperation, Naledi Pando, who is mediating the negotiations on behalf of the African Union, expressed her regret at the deadlock. She said she would raise the matter with South African President Ramaphosa, the current president of the African Union. Egypt, Sudan and Ethiopia signed a declaration of principle in Khartoum in March 2015 as a basis of negotiation, but no breakthrough on the use of the Nile water has been made since. Facebook has taken down a network in Uganda linked to the country's Ministry of Information for using fake and duplicate accounts ahead of this week's presidential election. Judith Nabakuba, Uganda's Minister of Information, says she needs more time to study the situation before commenting. Ugandans will vote on Thursday in a presidential election that will place longtime leader Yoru Museveni against 10 candidates, including opposition front-runner Bobby Wine, a singer-turned-lawmaker whose star power has rattled the ruling party. South Africa's health department says over 15,000 new coronavirus cases have been reported in the past 24 hours, bringing South Africa's total number of infections to 1,246,643. At least 415 people have died from COVID-19-related illnesses, bringing the total to 33,579. The recovery rate stands at 78.1%, addressing the nation. President Cyril Ramaphosa announced that the country will remain at the adjusted level 3 of the national lockdown to further curb the spread of the COVID-19. Ramaphosa says public gatherings have been prohibited across the country except for funerals, which must be attended by a maximum of 50 people. Cabinet has decided to maintain the country on adjusted level 3. Most of the measures that were announced on the 28th of December 2020 will remain in place. Given the risk of widespread transmission, most indoor and outdoor gatherings will not be permitted. This includes social gatherings, religious gatherings, political events, traditional council meetings and gatherings at sports grounds. The president also announced that alcohol sales will not be allowed and that most gatherings besides the funerals of less than 50 remains prohibited. Land borders will be closed until mid-February. Cabinet has decided that the 20 land ports of entry that are currently open will be closed until the 15th of February for general entry and departure. These include the six busiest border posts, which are Bidebridge, Lebombo, Maseru Bridge, Oshhook, Fixbeck, and Kopfontein.
Lastly, China has warned that it could retaliate against a decision by the outgoing Trump administration in the U.S. to lift long-standing restrictions on high-level contact with Taiwan. China considers the independently governed Taiwan to be part of its own territory. Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesperson Zhao Lilian says has this message for the United States. The Taiwan question is the most important and most sensitive core part of China-U.S. relations, and the one China principle is the political background of China-U.S. ties. Stop making any moves to elevate its relations with Taiwan or strengthen its military ties with Taiwan. Channel African News, I'm Onelin Zinzi. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms. On Facebook, Channel Africa One. On Twitter, at Channel Africa One. And YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. It's 7.06 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming back. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. The U.S. House of Representatives plans to move expeditiously this week in their efforts to remove President Donald Trump from office over his role in inciting his supporters to attack the Congress last week. In a letter to the Democratic Caucus House Speaker Nancy Pelosi pointed to efforts that were underway to pass a resolution later today calling on Vice President Mike Pence to invoke the 25th Amendment and rally the Cabinet to relieve the President of his duties. If the Vice President fails to respond to the House efforts within 24 hours, it will proceed with introducing articles of impeachment for abuse of power and incitement of insurrection. Show and Bryce Peace reports. Donald Trump faces the prospect of being the first U.S. president in history to be impeached twice by the House of Representatives, with Speaker Nancy Pelosi writing to her caucus Sunday that they will act with urgency because the president represents an imminent threat to the Constitution and the country's democracy. The House moved to request unanimous consent on a resolution calling on Pence to invoke the 25th Amendment failed due to objections from Republicans. The House will now move to a vote on the said resolution. If the VP doesn't respond within 24 hours, the House will move to an impeachment vote as early as Wednesday. Nancy Pelosi is the Speaker of the House. In calling for this seditious act, President has committed an unspeakable assault on our nation and our people. I join the Senate Democratic leader in calling on the Vice President to remove this President by immediately invoking the 25th Amendment. If the Vice President and Cabinet do not act, the Congress may be prepared to move forward with impeachment. With just nine days left in office, the timeline to impeach and go to trial is limited. But precedent does exist for a Senate trial to occur even after President Trump has left office. Listen to Hakeem Jeffries, chair of the House Democratic Caucus. It's my expectation that on Monday, a privileged resolution will be introduced that will charge the president of the United States with inciting sedition. The vehicle of a privileged resolution uh, will allow the House to move expeditiously to consider the article of impeachment on the floor of the House of Representatives to vote it out and to send it over to the Senate without having to go through a traditional judiciary committee markup. The tide against the incumbent not limited to political action. With private social media companies including Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and TikTok among others banning the president from their platforms over concerns that he will continue to incite violence. While tech giants, Amazon, Apple and Google have cut ties with Parler, a conservative alternative to Twitter over similar concerns. 
actor and former Republican governor of California, Arnold Schwarzenegger, also weighing in. President Trump sought to overturn the results of an election and of a fair election. He sought a coup by misleading people with lies. My father and our neighbors were misled also with lies. And I know where such lies lead. President Trump is a failed leader. He will go down in history as the worst president ever. The good thing is that he soon will be as irrelevant as an old tweet. While the leader of America's closest neighbor and among their largest trading partners didn't hold back, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. I'd like to begin by addressing what unfolded in Washington, D.C. this week. What we witnessed was an assault on democracy by violent rioters incited by the current president and other politicians. As shocking, deeply disturbing, and frankly saddening as that event remains, we've also seen this week that democracy is resilient in America, our closest ally and neighbor. Violence has no place in our societies, and extremists will not succeed in overruling the will of the people. Earlier, President-elect Joe Biden deflected when asked if he supported the impeachment, saying he'd leave it to the Congress to decide, just days ahead of his own inauguration on January 20th. I'm Sherman Bricepees in New York. A Congolese man wanted in South Africa for accusations of battery appeared before a court in Kenya facing murder charges. Christian Kadima Mwambai, who uses several aliases and holds a South African passport, was arrested on Friday for the murder of a Kenyan lawyer said to have been his girlfriend. Police in South Africa say a warrant of arrest is out for him after he jumped bail. Sarah Kimani reports. Christian Kadima Mwambai, you lodge Christian Kadima, Zukiswa Genevieve, these are just among the names that the murder suspect used while on travel and work between Kenya, South Africa and what is believed to be his home, the Democratic Republic of Congo. On Monday, he appeared at a court in Kenya accused of brutally killing his girlfriend, a prominent corporate lawyer in the country. His masked face seemingly emotionless, Kadima listened as the prosecutor sought 14 days to complete investigations which he used a South African passport number uh, for the names of Zukiswa Genevieve. Passport number FP. The Law Society of Kenya and the Federation of Women Lawyers in Kenya have been enjoined in the case. Absound Kamende. So the prosecution sought for 14 days first to establish his true identity and further investigate uh, the crime uh, under which he was uh, uh, arrested and brought to court. Magistrate Bernard Kasavuli granted the prosecution its prayers. Kadima, who did not have legal representation in court, says he has so far not been granted a fair hearing. You have been listed as uh, unknown, but uh, alias Christian Balegi Kadima. Have you had the application by the prosecution? So what is your response to it? And I've not been given a chance to contact anybody or speak my side of the story in any sense of way. All my stuff have been detained. I've tried to explain exactly what has happened in the incident of the night. Uh, no one has heard me. I've not been provided counsel in any form of way or shape. I've been unfairly treated and I feel this is going in and out. But you understand the content of the application by the prosecution. They need 14 more days okay. to carry out more investigations before you are formally charged. Right, John. Uh, do you have an objection to that? No, I do not, John. In the courtroom, Elizabeth Corky's family sat pensively at the back. And when the matter was adjourned to the 25th of this month, Corky's distraught father broke down. On social media, the case has generated interest. 
Across the borders in South Africa, where Kadima worked as a salesman in technology firms SAP and Oracle, and where he's now wanted by the police for an assault case, they pushed for justice that evaded them in their homeland to be served in Kenya, where he has been working as a gym instructor. Those who know Kadima say he's a multilingual ladies' man. His victim founded a human resource consultancy firm and is said to have been in a relationship with Kadima for close to two years. Her body was found in her bedroom on Friday, several hours after Kadima had left the house, after her house help realized that she had seemingly overslept. We also wish to condemn that heinous crime in the strongest term. Detectives say Kadima fled Koki's house after committing the crime. That report by Sarah Kimani. Tune in to Vision 2030 with Ona and Tabila Masugu, the new show revolving around the Sustainable Development Goals and Agenda 2030. Every Tuesday, 10 to 11 a.m. Central African Time. Connect with us on all social media platforms at Channel Africa One, hashtag Vision 2030. It's 7.16 Central African Time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on DSTV's audio bouquet Channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. Member of Parliament for South Africa's opposition, the EFF, Dr. Mbuyiseni Ndlozi, says they will take the matter against Police Minister Begi Kele a step further by reporting him to the public protector. Ndlozi laid a criminal complaint against Kele at the Sunnyside Police Station in Pretoria, citing political interference and defeating the ends of justice. This is in relation to the suspension of Crime Intelligence Boss Lieutenant General Peter Jacobs and five other police officials. Maluti Obuseng reports. National Police Commissioner Ketlasi Tole suspended the officials in November. However, last week, the Pretoria High Court dismissed their application to have their suspension overturned. Police Minister Bekikele then wrote to Sitole asking him to lift their suspension. Ndlozi says Kele's action amounts to political interference and defeating the ends of justice. We've got to exercise oversight. We've got an obligation as members of parliament, as an opposition political party, to exercise oversight on uh, these procurement of PPEs. And once allegations of corruption have been made against officials within the police or wherever in institutions of government, they've got to be investigated without any interruption, without any fear, without any favor. So in this case, the minister of police, this is a classic case of political interference defeating the ends of justice. Meanwhile, Ndozi says he will also be reporting clearly to the public protector. We also have taken initiative that we're going to report him to the public protector because um, uh, what he did is a, is a perfect classic case of the ways in which at different levels many politicians undermine investigations into corruption. Kele has acknowledged that he wrote the letter to Sitole asking him to lift Jacobs and the other official suspension while he awaits a report from the inspector general. He said he believes that's how the process should have been done. Kele also said he is aware of Ndlozi's action, but will only comment once the process starts to unfold. I am Maluti Ubuseng in Pretoria. The Premier of South Africa's Gauteng province, David Makura, says residents must brace themselves for a tough two weeks as they expect COVID-19 cases to rise even higher. Makura says the infection rate in the province has already doubled in the past seven days. The Premier visited the Steve Biko Academic Hospital in Pretoria, which has since turned its parking bay into a ward for patients under COVID-19 investigation, as it could no longer accommodate such cases inside the hospital due to a high influx of patients. Pumzilim Langin reports. The Steve Biko Academic Hospital is among the busiest in the country. The resurgence of COVID has seen an influx of patients from neighboring provinces without referrals, putting the hospital under severe pressure. It has now turned its parking bay into wards for patients waiting for their results and referrals to nearby hospitals. The hospital currently has just under 200 COVID patients. Hospital CEO Dr. Matabo Matebula has dismissed suggestions that there are no longer beds available at the hospital. She says that 
temporary structures are for better management. Like uh, we have said, uh, COVID-19 patients, even one that looks stable as he steps in the door, the condition can change any time. Now they arrived minute by minute, hour by hour, simultaneously. And our, our capacity in terms of inside was, was uh, overflowing. Gauteng has 4,500 COVID hospital admissions in both government and private hospitals. Makura says the number of fatalities has also increased exponentially in the province. And although the province hasn't reached a 100% bed capacity, the situation seems to be leading there as the infection rate has doubled in the past seven days, suppressing that of the first wave. In a period where the numbers are doubling almost every day, and I'm saying to you, in the last seven days, uh, they have been increasing in the last seven days, doubling hospital admissions. With regard to infections, we are just where we were at the peak of the first wave. You remember mid-July, counting was at 6,500. The highest daily infection rate was 6,500. Currently, there are just over three, four days, the infection rate has been between 6,200 up to 6,900. Makura says the next two weeks will be critical in the province as they expect numbers to rise with the return of many from holidays. We had prepared for the period in January when people returned that the numbers are going to increase, but the increases are happening much faster and the numbers are much higher. So I want to say to the people of Houghton, the next two weeks are going to be difficult. On the side of government, we are doing everything in our power, uh, working with our healthcare workers, and in some instances, law enforcement agencies to enforce the regulations. Makura says they'll be adding 1,000 more beds at the Nazrek Field Hospital in Johannesburg in order to accommodate positive cases and those who need to quarantine. I am Pumzile Mlangeni in Pretoria. As COVID-19 infections continue to spread rapidly in South Africa during the second wave of the pandemic, community-based organizations and caring individuals in the city of Durban are doubling their efforts to make a difference to those who need it the most. Guazul-Natal province currently has nearly 77,000 active cases, over 252 infections uh, with 20 0.5% of the national burden since the outbreak of the pandemic as government and scientists warn communities to remain at home and vigilant. Increasing infection numbers means an increasing number of vulnerable people who need help. Minosh Nipile spoke to some good Samaritans who are responding to these pleas and filed this report. Healthcare workers remain on the front line of fighting the coronavirus. And now, with the second wave well underway, these doctors and nurses are more fatigued than ever before. A group calling themselves Support Healthcare Workers on the KwaZulu-Natal South Coast deliver care packs daily to staff at the Kingsway Hospital. A sachet of coffee, a homemade sandwich and some fruit. Organizer Shanae Cup says they want to boost the morale of nurses and doctors who continue to work long, tough shifts. Boost their morale and let them know that the community actually do care what they are doing. And no one sees what they are seeing on a daily basis. And it's traumatic for them emotionally, mentally and physically. People come and drop off biscuits or sachets of coffee and what have you. And those go into the care packs every day. Or anybody who would like to bake muffins for a day or uh, make sandwiches, we do it every single day. They are so appreciative. Former policeman Leon Nyager left the force after one of his legs was amputated. Determined to continue making a difference, Nyager collects groceries and medicines and runs important errands for COVID-19 positive patients in his hometown of Isapingo, south of Durban. Those who find themselves in isolation at home. I'm disabled with one leg, so I'm no more policeman and I'm seeing that people that are COVID positive need assistance. And as you know, people are frightened they're going to assist the uh, positive people. 
taking into consideration that I'm well covered and secured and with my masks and shields and everything. The first people getting their groceries or paying their accounts or getting their medication. The virus is, is out of control. Some people are not taking it serious. When they're not using their masks, they still think it's a joke. The South African National Muslim Women's Forum has mobilized their extensive network of community volunteers to provide daily servings of nourishing soup through their Soup for the Sick program. It's delivered right to the doors of COVID-19 positive patients and their loved ones. The organization's Hawa Patel. Many COVID patients live alone or their families are afraid to go in to avoid spreading the virus within their circle. Also, many moms are too weak to prepare for themselves if they are sick. Many times the family shares the portions that are being delivered. A lot of groups put notes of hope and love attached to many of the soup packs to motivate or inspire, keep the patients positive. Apart from soup, food packs are also prepared in many instances where there's a need. We have been receiving constantly messages of appreciation. 33-year-old Najma Ibrahim has just kicked off her soup drive in her community of Phoenix. The mom of two says she wanted to use her passion for cooking to bring about hope after she'd suffered a double tragedy in June, losing her father and her brother to the virus. It was just something so beautiful and the look on their faces that I could, you know, do something like this for them. These are very difficult times for all of us. And if even for a moment I can give someone a, a few minutes of joy or happiness, then why not? Yes, we have all lost loved ones during this horrible, horrible time. But we need to draw strength from the fact that these were people that we loved. So think about those good moments with them and those good times with them, the love that you had for them. Celebrate their life in any way that you can. These goodwill heroes are among many who continue to serve their communities through their own heartache and with the little resources at their disposal. And they all say that they'll continue to make a difference as long as they can. I'm Minoshni Pale in Durban. COVID-19 hospitalizations have again breached a 3,000 mark in South Africa's Western Cape province as active cases rise to over 43,000. The province has recorded over 8,000 deaths and 186,000 recoveries. While hospitals remain under pressure, the province says it does not plan on rolling out additional field hospitals. Mlamli Maneli has more. Facilities like the Stellenbosch Provincial Hospital have used innovative ways to increase its bed space. The 85-bed regional hospital has, among others, converted a training facility into a 25-bed COVID ward, where 12 people are currently admitted. Hospital management says COVID-19 deaths have increased from 81 for the entire Stellenbosch sub-district at the end of September to 145 currently. Medical manager Dr. Richard Davids says three staff members have died here since the pandemic started. Fast forward a month and a bit on. We now have our current status, 5,012 cases. Uh, new cases since Friday has been 221. Our active cases are sitting on 534. A bit of positive news out of that. For the past 10 to 14 days, We've been stable within a range of 440, 550. So we've been been staying stable within that range in terms of active cases. Um, So we clearly more than 250 cases per 100,000 population, which means our pool of infection out there is very, very high at at the moment. The sad part of all this, our total deaths is standing on 145. Remember I said end of September? Health authorities say the hospital's COVID-19 testing unit which limits contact between healthcare professionals and patients means that less PPE is used. 
and also expedites the testing process. Provincial Health Minister Noma French Mbombo. In responding to the COVID, one of those is that testing unit that is there where you don't have to dome a full kit. You can just come to the other side and then do the testing yourself, which makes it easier for the clinician. Uh, whilst you are there, you could be also to be there. But the most part of the innovation related to the beds is that they converted. Is it a training center? It was a training center. We used to have a meeting today in the old training center. That innovation part. They converted a training center uh, to have more beds for the COVID. Bombo says while the province has requested help from military doctors to assist with boosting medical staff, especially for the Winelands areas, they have not yet been deployed. Western Cape Premier Alan Windy says over 700 additional beds have been brought into the provincial health system and the province can increase this number by a further 130 if necessary. There's extra beds in Friedendahl, there's extra beds in George, there's extra beds in Hermanus. And even if you look at Mitchell's Plain, if you look at the Frisia Ward, so the only real field hospital now is actually the Hospital of Hope and the R300 because at some stage that is going to have to be decommissioned. But every other extra bed that's been put in place is a bed that's there to be used in health. The province is busy finalizing its plan for a vaccine rollout. More details on the holistic provincial situation are expected during the weekly provincial briefing on Tuesday. I'm Lamli Maneli in Cape Town. At 7.31 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Our headlines up next with Onelin Zinzi. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Facebook has taken down a network in Uganda linked to the country's Ministry of Information for using fake and duplicate accounts ahead of this week's presidential election. South Africa members of Parliament's Portfolio Committee on Home Affairs are on Tuesday visiting the Bay Bridge for a post near Masina between South Africa and Zimbabwe. And China warns it could retaliate against a decision by the outgoing Donald Trump administration in the U.S. to lift long-standing restrictions on high-level contact with Taiwan. Channel African News, I am Onilin Sinsi. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Onele. It is 7.32 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Our South African-based humanitarian aid organization, Gift of the Givers, is donating PPEs and other medical equipment to hospitals, ambulance services, old age homes and police stations along the Garden Route area in the Western Cape province. The equipment, called CPAP machines, does not use electricity and delivers oxygen from a low to intermediate flow. With COVID-19 cases rising across the country, there's an ever-increasing need for oxygen to patients being transported to hospital in ambulances. Tanya Krauser reports. The Gift of the Givers donated 15 CPAP machines and an assortment of PPEs to the Mossel Bay Provincial Hospital. The organization's project manager, Alice Blay, says they are delivering a total of 60 of these machines in the Greater Mossel Bay area and a total of 250 in the whole of the garden route. We brought them CPAP machines, we brought them PPEs, which is your pulse oximeters, your thermometers, your KN95 masks, your 3-ply masks, uh, your scrubs. We see that many of the doctors when they, and the nurses, when they see the scrub, they start dancing already. We see notice this all around the country. So we are glad uh, we could have be, uh, been an assistance to our healthcare workers. As we know, they are facing the biggest strain. So it's nice to see them smile with a donation like this and making their work easier. And the main thing is to save lives. The Mossel Bay Hospital currently has 13 COVID-19 positive patients. Hospital manager Dr. Jakub Botma says the donation will assist in treating the patients but also ensure that their healthcare workers are safe. Hopefully uh, we've reached our peak and uh, the, the numbers are coming down a little bit but while we're waiting for it to clear up completely we'll, we'll be able to use that and, and I must say it's very useful, the masks 
and the, the, the shields and the, the clothing, protective clothing that they gave and especially the CPAP machines. Um, uh, we'll, we'll work on it and we'll sort things out and uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll be able to use it. Marcel Bay Mayor Harry Levendal says the donations have put their minds at ease. If you listen, people need oxygen. Then it is important whatever PPE or whatever was given here today, is, it is very important for the people of the greater Mosul Bay. And um, we can rest assured that when somebody comes to hospital, he will be helped, he or she will be helped. Meanwhile, members of the SANDF have set up base in Mosul Bay and Sedgefield as part of the operations to assist the police in enforcing COVID-19 regulations. I'm Tanya Krauser in Mosul Bay. The Bapedi royal family in the Sikukuni district in South Africa's Limpopo province has announced that the memorial service for their late king, His Majesty Tulare Victor Tulare III, will be held under strict COVID-19 regulations. King Tulare died of COVID-19 last week and will be buried at Mohlaletzi village this Sunday, the 17th of January. The office of the president, Cyril Ramaphosa, has accorded the late king an official funeral. Rudzani Chivase reports. Spokesperson of the Wapedi royal family in Mampuru says preparations to lay to rest the king are underway. We are busy communicating with the local municipalities, the district municipality, the SAPS, and other stakeholders in this preparation for the period. So that at the end of the day, we shall come up with a story that is final and detailed to everybody as to what will happen from here, hence on, until the date of the period. The date of the period is Sunday, the 17th January. Here at Moshate, Chate the third, Mashalezi village, Kukunelen. He says the date for the memorial service will be announced soon. He says, as law abiding South Africans, every procession is guided by the country's COVID 19 safety regulations. The king himself died of COVID 19 complications. Mampore explains. We are busy preparing that there will be some memorial services that will be held. And we are also preparing everything in relation to the regulations of the COVID-19, which was guided by the Department of Health of the Republic of South Africa. We won't go beyond that because we are a respectful kingdom. We are abiding by the laws of the country. There's no way that we can run away from the disciplines that are put before us. Meanwhile, Chief Ruzanis in Tumore of Sintumore tribal area outside Lustrisha died. Spokesperson of Bavenda King Tonimpipo Ramaburana, Chief in Tumeni Masia, says Chief Sintumore died after a long illness. It is a sad moment um, for the king. It's a sad moment. Senior traditional leaders, it's a sad moment for all the people that um, belong to the Bavenda kingdom. The king calls on the is in Tumure subjects, the royalty, to be united at this grieving moment. And they should be consoled by the fact that it is his maker that has decided to recall him from the earth. Last week, Chief Madimechekekana of Mateveleba Hamletane in Zebediela also died. Ruzan Chibase, SBSRD News, Pulukwane. Many countries around the world are experiencing a second wave of the COVID-19 pandemic and are introducing stricter lockdown rules in an attempt to curb the spread of the virus. Unfortunately, this has not slowed down cybercrime activities around the world. Computer and network security company Checkpoint has in the past couple of months seen a worldwide increase in cyber attacks on hospitals and healthcare organizations who have been targeted by a rising wave of ransomware attacks. But what should they do in order to protect themselves from falling prey? Nomata Anderson, security engineer at a computer network security company Checkpoint, spoke to Samora Mangesi on what institutions should watch out for. This trend has actually started a few years ago, uh, but we have seen from the 1st of November a spike 
in the rise of uh, of attacks of targeted attacks on hospitals globally and this has actually put a quite a huge strain on most uh, 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 healthcare institutions and uh, disrupted their systems and sometimes in certain instances not being able to provide care and in certain incidences globally where actually uh, some patients have, have actually died in the process. Why are these attacks spiking now? The cause for the spike now, it's, it's basically con- uh, financial gain. So what has happened is, uh, I mean, obviously, we, we all know that most healthcare institutions, their systems are not actually quite vulnerable. There has been a, a trend that has happened that has happened globally using a, a ransomware that actually targets hospitals because they are vulnerable. And the other major motivation for this trade vectors is actually financial gain. They're looking to, to you know to, for for large amounts of money and they're looking for it fast. So what has happened now? It seems to have paid off in the past year. And the, very well for these criminals, and, and and what has happened, this success has actually motivated them and has made them hungry, you know, for more. Hospitals are under tremendous pressure due to the, you know, ongoing rises in uh, coronavirus cases, and they um, and and most hospitals are actually willing to pay ransom, so they continue to provide healthcare uh, uh, during these critical times. As the world as tension continues to you know, to focus on the pandemic, cyber criminals now are willing to continue to use this and try to exploit as much as they can that focus for their own illegal, uh, you know, personal gain. Is this a threat for local healthcare providers? If so, what could be the impact or implications locally? South Africa is not an exemption from this ongoing trend. In in uh, just looking last year, uh, during the middle of last year in June, uh, life healthcare was a victim for this targeted attack, and its IT infrastructure uh, was actually uh, was actually affected. And whilst patient care was not really compromised, the attack affected their admission systems, business processing systems, email servers, uh, to name just a few. This type of attack can cause delays, disruptions on infrastructure in an already trying time, you know, of of the healthcare industry. We are working continuously to fight the COVID-19 pandemic. Ransom attacks against hospitals and related organizations are particularly damaging as the result of such attacks is not restricted to, you know, to, to data damage and monetary damage, but are disruptive to their systems, which could affect their ability to, you know, to deliver medical care and therefore endanger life. All of this aggravated with the you know, pressures the systems are currently facing, you know, trying to cope with the, with the increased cases of, of the second wave of uh, COVID-19 cases. This is precisely why criminals are specifically uh, targeting the healthcare sectors at the moment and the hospitals are more likely to meet their ransom demands. So, you know, so they, they can actually focus on, on, on saving lives, which is the core of the of what they do and the core of their business. So what should hospitals and these health care organizations do in order to protect themselves from falling prey to these cyber crimes? All right. There, there's quite a few things that uh, hospitals could, could do. Firstly, they should actually look within their network infrastructure and look for Trojan uh, infections. Ransomware on their own uh, attacks doesn't start with the ransomware itself. Like RIAC, which is the most common uh, 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 ransomware software that's actually been used globally at the moment to to attack hospitals, and other types of ransom uh, ransom exploits usually start with an infection within a, uh, with a, with usually with a trojan. So hospitals must look for those within their network infrastructure. Often these trojans, uh, you know, uh, infects uh, infection occurs days or weeks before the ransom attack itself. So uh, security professionals should look out for, there's a few uh, that has been named, a few Trojans that actually have been common and has been identified. Uh, A few of them is probably uh, TrickBot, which is one of them. Emotet has actually emerged as one of the top, uh, you know, uh, Trojan infections actually in 2020 as well. Uh, Drydex and Cobalt Strike. These infections would thin their networks and remove these using uh, threat hunting solutions Usually, these ones are the ones that start the infection and can leave the door open for for the actual ransomware uh, uh, ransomware software that can eventually, you know, devastate their systems. 
So, uh, you know, another, another thing just to point is usually we have actually noticed and monitored these this attacks over the year. And what happens is most attacks usually happens over the weekends and holidays. So IT professionals need to also be aware of that. The use of anti-ransomware solutions itself, although ransomware, I mean, attacks are sophisticated, but ransomware, uh, ransom, anti-ransomware solutions within with a remediation feature are effective tools that can enable organizations to revert back to normal operations in just a few minutes if an infection actually takes place. Uh, the other thing, which is actually quite simple, but uh, quite very important, and most organizations should should do is educate their employees about you know uh, malicious emails. Training users on how to identify and avoid potential ransom attacks is crucial. That was No Matter Anderson, security engineer at a computer and network security company Checkpoint, speaking to Samora Mangesi. It's 7:45 Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Our economics update up next with Tabi Solohoku. Good morning. There is a bad news for the South African alcohol industry. As President Sir Ramaphosa has announced that the sale of alcohol will continue to be prohibited under the extension of adjusted level 3 of the lockdown. The President made the announcement in an address to the nation last night. The President also announced that land ports of entry into the country would be closed, including Bitebridge. The curfew will run from 9 p.m. in the evening until 5 a.m. in the morning, Central African time. Most gatherings remain prohibited except for funerals of less than 50 people. Ramaphosa says that the alcohol ban is intended to fight the spread of the coronavirus in the country. The sale of alcohol from retail outlets and their on-site consumption of alcohol is still not permitted. Health services in several parts of the country reported that the prohibition of alcohol sales had significantly reduced the number of trauma cases seen in our hospitals over the New Year period. The State Capture Commission of Inquiry into South Africa will this morning start by hearing evidence from Eskom Acting Senior Manager for Fuel Resources, Ayan Teta. Former Eskom's Chief Executive Officer, Machela Koko, is also expected to testify before the commission later. Koko has been accused by some witnesses who appeared before the commission as having close ties with the Gupta family. Tsepa Mungwai reports. More Eskom-related evidence is expected this week with former Chief Executive Brian Molife and CFO Anod Singh expected to appear before the commission. However, the Commission's Chairperson, Chief Justice Raymond Zondo, has raised concerns about lack of willingness by some former ESCOM executives to appear before the Commission. Tepo Mungwai, SABC News, Johannesburg. WhatsApp users in South Africa have shared their frustration and annoyance about the platform's new terms of service with some saying they have already migrated to other messaging services. Last week, the Facebook-owned Messenger app introduced new terms requesting users to agree to allow Facebook and its subsidiaries to collect user data from their devices. The move has raised many questions about an invasion of privacy. Experts say other messaging apps such as Signal and Telegram are seeing a sudden increase in demand. These WhatsApp users have shared their thoughts about the new privacy policy. They know what we post, why we post it, and they influence our next post. So when WhatsApp is coming up with new policies that do not look new to me, 
it doesn't really phase me as something that can make me delete WhatsApp and move to Telegram, as many are suggesting. Invasion of privacy is something we have allowed as social media orientated generation. I just thought it was one of those updates that they usually send out every now and again. I didn't read it, so I just agreed to it. Now that I've found out what I've agreed to, I'm not very happy about it. I am actually considering deleting the app. The Zambian government has been urged to consider engaging the private sector in the development of key roads as Zambia looks to accelerate trade ties with its neighbours after the enforcement of the African continental free trade area. AFCFTA will ease the movement of goods, services and people across the continent in a quest to promote intra-Africa trade, which is low at less than 18%. Zambia Chamber of Commerce and Industry President Chabuka Kawesha says the government through the Road Development Agency should liberalize the development of roads to attract private sector financing to ensure connectivity to various countries. Namibian truckers heading to Zambia will enjoy fuel price relief after the government removed the 16% value-added tax on fuel last week. The Zambian Finance Minister Bualiangandu says this was to help stabilize the pump prices and the supply of fuel in the country. In Namibia, there is no VAT on fuel. According to a Bloomberg report, by subsidizing fuel prices, the Zambian government is seeking to retain power while convincing the International Monetary Fund to approve a bailout before an election scheduled for August. One US dollar will cost you 381.72 Nigerian Nara, 10.79 Botswana Pula, 108.76 a Kenyan shilling, 21.24 Zambian Kwacha, 15.46 Namibian dollar, and 761.81 Malawian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, Brazil, one US dollar there is a trading at 5 real 45. Russia, 74 rubles 54, India 73 rupees 40, China 6 yuan 47, and in South Africa it's at 15 rand 46. The US dollar is also trading at 74 pence to the British pound and 82 cents to euro. A look at commodities markets now gold $1,850 platinum, $1,057 per ounce brand crude, $55.59 cents a barrel. Wise man, it's yours. Thank you, Tabiso. Our sports update up next with Neto Chamani. Thank you, Lulu. From the sports desk, a very good morning. Starting off with cricket news. Cricket South Africa's women national side have sat dormant for more than 10 months, but that's going to change on the 20th of January when they play against Pakistan women in the first one-day international at Hollywood Bats Kingsmead Cricket Ground in South Africa's coastal city of Durban. The Momentum Proteus side will be flying the flag in a post-COVID-19 world as they take on a Pakistani side that will also be competing for the first time since the ICC T20 Women's Cricket World Cup in three ODIs and three T20 internationals. Proteus head coach Hilton Moreng has emphasized the importance of returning to competitive play. Call it a new norm for us. It's what's most important is for us to make sure we can an opportunity to play cricket. I mean, it's been almost a year now since the last time we played cricket as a team. So we had a lot of camps building up to this five, to be exact. And then we knew that uh, with this new bio, bio bubbles and what needs to happen, the regulations of COVID, it, uh, we needed to educate players slowly so that when we do get an opportunity like we have now to have a tour, each and everyone had, had an experience of what the, uh, the environment is going to require from everyone. 
Namibian national football team, the Brave Warriors, are busy preparing for the 2021 African Nations Championship Chen Finals to be held in Cameroon. According to the NFA website, Captain Dynamo Fredericks said the team's spirit and tempo has been high since their return from their coastal town of Welvis Bay, despite the infiltration of COVID-19. Fredericks said the team has been pushing towards getting fit both physically and mentally to assure that their trip to Cameroon for the African Nations Championship. Chen is a memorable one. TS Galaxy announced the appointment of Owen Dagama as the club's new head coach on Monday. Dagama succeeds Zipot Langalala, who, uh, who was axed by the club following the 3-0 loss to Supersport United last Saturday. Langalala stepped into the coaching role after Dan Malisela was shown at the door in December last year. Dagama has signed a three-year contract with the Mpumalanga-based club. The club's chairman, Tim Sugazi, says he wants the team to be in a better position. Not panic, but yes, concerned. We are concerned. We want the top to be in a better position because that relieves lots of pressure, you know. And once pressure is off, then the players perform even much better. Kenya's football Premier League champions Gomahia have unveiled a new head coach, Carlos Manuel Vaz Samuel Pinto from Portugal, barely four months after picking Brazilian Robertinho Oliveira. The club's chairperson Ambrose Reitia explains the circumstances under which they had to make such an early change. But unfortunately, as we started the CAF Champions League campaign, it transpired that as a result of changes in regulations at the CAF headquarters. He was not qualified to sit on the bench as there was a requirement of a CAF A license, which he did not have. It became necessary for him to go back to his country, Brazil, for equalization. And in the result, he was required to undergo fresh training. And finally, in tennis news, Risto Shikongo and Sadie Jacobs emerged as the singles champions of the Swakop Mund Open presented by the Namibia Tennis Association at the coastal town. In the men's final, Shikongo beat George Lowe 6-1-7-5, while Jacobs beat Linek Theron 6-1-6-1 in the women's final. The men's singles competition had a fine turnout of 19 entrants, with the top seeds all comfortably progressing to the quarterfinals. The first upset came in the quarterfinals when the unseeded George Lowe beat the fourth seeded Michao Bazone 6-2-6-3. Thank you for choosing Channel Africa. For Channel Africa Sport, I'm Neto N-E-T-O Chemani. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zola. Africa, Amuka na Unai. It wraps up Africa, rise and shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Pumutsura Magadza, technical producer Wiseman Mangele, and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.co.za or tweet us at RiseShineAfrica. Our taking us to the top of the hour for the news is Zwake Mzwake Mbuli with a song titled God Bless Africa. Goodbye and keep safe.
Tanda ise gangara Waze wanigana ngendota na yake Ezelwe yotwa Uguma ilo unalo okolo ayo Anga kubi Kepabe nukila onku na pagate For God to love the world That he gave his only begotten son That whoever believed in him Should never die but have eternal life What you just have on a isitukwe nyugela intabiri Wabafundi sawati Babu tisi wabampofe moyeni Goguba umbuso zulungo wabo Babu tisi wabakalayo Goguba baya kututuswa Babu tisi wabamnene Goguba baya kutaipalo mshaba Babu tisi wabalambeleba malegulunga Goguba baya usutiswa Babu tisi wabanekizyo esanze gileyo Goguba baya kumbona umkulu mkulu Babu tisi wabanta balamulayo Goguba kia kuchuanda bantuana Baka mkulu mkulu Babu tisi wabazingelwa Ngenna yokulunga Oh, I'm so sorry.